calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Oh, hello, my lovely ragers. I hope we all had a good work week or school week, whatever it is that you do during the weekdays. Welcome to the weekend. It feels so good to not have to work my retail job on the weekends, but it was funny because last weekend I was like, I have too much time on my hands. So I definitely want to maybe like start skating again on the weekend or something. I don't know. It was really fun. I actually met up with a skating friend that I've known. I mean, I think I probably met her when I was like five or six years old, probably. But I don't remember actually like knowing her until I was maybe like eight or nine years old. Her name is Maria Starr. She's amazing. She's been on Disney on Ice for like almost 13 years. Like as long as I've lived in LA, she's been skating in Disney on ice and I'm astonished at what she is able to do. I was always more of like the jumping bean and she was just naturally flexible, really good at spins. She can just like do things with her body that are so beautiful that like I had to work extra hard at like I had to take extra ballet classes and things like that because I always just had so much energy and was like ah! when I skated and she was just so graceful and beautiful and um yeah I, I don't think I've seen her in like 10 years and we got together this week in LA because her girlfriend lives out here now and she was really really encouraging to me and saying that I should get back out on the ice and I think that that's something that I really want to do. I got to dust those skates off, make sure they're in decent condition. They're the same skates that I've had since I was like 16 years old. So ugh, they're probably not doing super great, but uh, skates are very expensive and I'm not chalking over that kind of money right now. But I think that that would be a really good thing for me to get back into. 
All right, now that I've kind of done my check-in with you, I am also really excited to announce that there is another new Patreon episode available. So the book that I covered this month was the audiobook Still Learning by India Oxenberg, who is a friend of mine. And originally and normally what I would do with Patreon book club episodes is split them into two and have one episode be like covering the text of the book and another one being like, about the author or some background or something else that's still related to the book but not covering the text itself. Well, I got through four chapters of notes and I was working on the fifth chapter and I was well over my allotment for an episode. So I have decided that I am going to be making three episodes this month. The episode that I posted last night is going to be covering chapters one through four, and then next Wednesday, I will be posting the rest of the episode covering the text of the book. The first four chapters talk about India's childhood and her indoctrination into Nexium, going to those first classes, meeting some of those people that are going to be really influential to her later on in her Nexium experience. And next week's episode is going to be covering her indoctrination into DOS, which has been why the cult is known as the sex cult, and her experience being under Allison Mack and the abuses that she underwent, but also how she got out of the cult and how she has started her healing process. And then I still need to talk to her and figure out an exact date that we're going to record, but we are going to record an episode together where I am able to ask her all of your questions that you have after listening to her story. So on Patreon, I do have that first episode and then right below it, there is a little just like text post that I made where I want all of you to leave the questions in the comment section. So that would be really, really amazing. But also, I want to give my regular listeners a little bit of a special sneak peek as well. So if you listen through the end of this episode, you will get a like five to six minute sneak peek of the most recent episode of me covering chapter one of her book, Still Learning, so you can get to know India a little bit better. If you want to join the book club, you can go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist or go to the link in the show notes and you can go to the $5 level, which will give you access to everything involving the book club. But then there's also an $8 level, which I call the feminist phase tier. And at that level, you will get all of the book club content as well as all of these episodes ad free and some bonus content every now and again, more and more ideas are being cooked up. I also wanted to bring this up, and I keep forgetting to, but I wanted to get your reactions to this. I have so many talented listeners, so many artists that follow me and listen to me, and I really, really want some new and unique merch ideas that are really eye-catching and something that not just listeners of the show would appreciate, but that everyone would think was really, really cool. And I am such a huge fan of -of one-of-a-kind art. 
I don't like things that look like everyone else has them and are mass produced. I come from two artist parents. Most of the artwork in my home is like made by someone I know or by a street artist and things like that. So I really want to celebrate all of you and your talents and do some sort of like merch contest draw situation. But I still also want to use a lot of different designs. So let me know if you feel like that would be a cool idea, something that you would want to do. If you think it's a great idea, DM me at Angry Neighborhood Feminist on Instagram or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com and let me know and I'll start that process. Okay, I feel like I've been stalling long enough with all of that. I do need to get into this week's news topics, unfortunately. It has been, whew, it's been a week and I got to tell you, There's a lot of weeks where I really, really put off reading any of the news as the week goes on because I know that I'm going to have to prep for this episode, which sometimes isn't the best idea because it feels like I'm cramming and I'm trying to get all the information and get it right. But also, it is incredibly difficult, as I've said before on this show, to constantly be uh, taking in a lot of really tragic information and a lot of things that really do affect me emotionally and mentally. So I do have to protect myself as well. And I'm I'm upset. I'm very upset. I don't have anything new to tell you about my feelings regarding all of this because by now you should all know how I feel. But there was yet another mass shooting in Texas on Saturday, May 6th. And it occurred at a outlet mall called Allen Premium Outlets in Allen, Texas. Nine people, including the perpetrator, were killed during the massacre, including young children, with the youngest being only three years old. The shooting began around 3.36 p.m. when a shooter wearing tactical gear began shooting into a crowd outside the mall. He shot 15 people within only three to four minutes and appeared to be shooting indiscriminately. The victims who have been identified are Cindy and Q Cho and their three-year-old son, James. Another son, William, who's six years old, was shot but survived. He is now an orphan. Daniela Mendoza, 11 years old, and Sofia Mendoza, 8, were two sisters in elementary school who were at the mall with their mother. Aishwarya Thadikanda was 26 years old, Elio Kumana Rivas was 32, and Christian Lacour was 20, and he was the security guard at the mall. Police have announced that Christian was able to evacuate one person to safety and was shot while assisting others to safety. A woman interviewed by CNN, Trinity Whitley, who knew two members of the Cho family as she was James's daycare teacher and Cindy was her dentist. She said, James was innocent and he did nothing wrong. He loved elephants. He was sweet and smart and he was so cute. I've never actually met a three-year-old that was that smart. He was writing his own name. His favorite color was green and he would always say thank you to daycare staff. This actually reminds me a lot of the three-year-old that I take care of, although she's not writing her own name. Sisters Daniela and Sofia Mendoza were both elementary school students. Daniela was in fourth grade and Sofia in second. Their mother, Ilda, is in the hospital in critical condition. And this makes me wonder if the mother is conscious or not, because I can't imagine the pain of being so isolated and being in a hospital setting and 
potentially knowing that two of your children are gone, it's impossible for me to get into that headspace. But I fear that if I were in that position, it would be really hard for me to go on and to want to move on with my life without my children. I can't imagine what this mother is going through. And I also can't imagine what that six-year-old boy is going through, having lost his parents and his brother in such in such a terrible way. And I, I can't imagine growing up and knowing that you lost your loved ones in such a senseless and terrible and violent act. It's just, it's despicable. Elio Kumana Rivas was 32 years old and working hard in the States to support his mother and father who lived in Venezuela. He had just come to the States in 2022 after spending a few months in Panama, and his brother said Elio's goal was to grow as a person and his dream was to find a place where he could grow and help his loved ones. Aishwara was killed just a few days shy of her 28th birthday. She moved to the States about five years ago to pursue her master's degree and graduated in 2020. She worked as an engineer. The shooter is being described as a 33-year-old neo-Nazi. He was seen wearing a patch reading RWDS, which means Right Wing Death Squad, something that has been seen on the Proud Boys as well. And his body was tattooed with fascist symbols such as SS lightning bolts and a large swastika. He also described himself as an incel and hated women. In the days leading up to the shooting, he posted tons of hateful stuff online toward minorities and women, as well as talked about his admiration of past mass shooters. He also uploaded pictures of the outlet mall three weeks before the attack, including the entrance where he would open fire and screenshots of a page showing peak visiting hours for the mall. Ugh. This account was on a Russian social media site, and his profile had no friends or any comments attached to them. It was discovered that the gunman had entered the military in 2008, but was released before finishing basic training due to mental health concerns. <sighs> These men just fucking scare me. They are the epitome of toxic masculinity. And what's so terrifying to me is that these shooters inspire each other and they just seem to be growing in numbers. Each mass shooter justifies all the fucked up feelings that these incels feel and gives more and more people the quote unquote courage to carry out violence as well. Like I said, you all know my feelings about how gun laws and legislation needs to be changed. I don't know how many more times I can plead for it on this show. So I'm just going to leave it at that. All right, we got more news in the world of Donald Trump. Writer E. Jean Carroll is ecstatic that Donald Trump has been found liable for sexual abuse and defamation in a civil trial stemming from allegations that he raped Carroll in the 90s. He was found liable for sexual assault, but not rape. Carroll was awarded $5 million total in damages. Carol says that Trump assaulted and raped her in a Bergdorf Goodman department store dressing room in Manhattan in the mid-1990s. During the trial, Trump's defense team sought to pick apart Carol's account of what happened and what followed. An attorney for Trump asked Carol why she didn't scream. She responded, Some women scream, some women don't. It keeps women silent. She told CBS, 
The perfect victim always screams, and the perfect victim always goes to the police, and the perfect victim always writes it in her diary, and the perfect victim, after she's been raped, her life is supposed to fold up and she's not supposed to ever seek happiness or career success again. And yesterday, they said, there's not such a thing as a perfect victim. The jury was made up of six men and three women, and they only deliberated for three hours before finding Trump guilty. After the verdict, Trump took to Truth Social to say, in all caps as always, I have absolutely no idea who this woman is. This verdict is a disgrace, a continuation of the greatest witch hunt of all time. Shut the fuck up. E. Jean Carroll sounds pretty amazing, and I'm glad that she has gotten justice and hopefully some semblance of peace. In the 80s, E. Jean wrote for SNL. She was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Writing in a Variety or Music Program in 1987. She had a column in Elle, which ran from 1993 to 2020, called Ask E. Jean. She was asked about sex and always insisted that women should never, never structure their lives around men. Her writing style has been described as quirky, cheeky, and irreverent. There was even an Ask E. Jean TV series, which aired on NBC from 1994 to 1996. Entertainment Weekly called her the most entertaining cable talk show host you will ever see. In 2002, Carol co-founded a website with her sister Candy called greatboyfriends.com, where women recommended their ex-boyfriends to each other. On the site, people put their profiles on trading cards and bought, sold, and traded each other. This is genius. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. On June 21st, 2019, Carol published an article in New York Magazine, which told how Donald Trump had sexually assaulted her. She wrote that she was on her way out of the store when she ran into Trump, and he asked her for help buying a gift for a woman. After suggesting a handbag or a hat, the two repeatedly went into the lingerie section and joked about trying some on. Carol said that they ended up in the dressing room together, the door of which was shut. Trump then forcefully began kissing her. He pulled down her tights and raped her before she was able to escape. She stated that the whole thing lasted only about three minutes. Carol probably thought it would be a bit more fun and playful if she was anticipating a quick hookup in the dressing room. I doubt she was expecting such a violent and forceful interaction. That's the difference, people. She could be saying yes all the way until that dressing room door shut behind her. Once Trump had begun with her, she no longer consented to his behavior, and he should have stopped. She filed a defamation lawsuit against him in November 2019 with the New York Supreme Court, with it stating that Trump had damaged her reputation, substantially harmed her professionally, and caused her emotional pain. Carroll stated, Decades ago, the now President of the United States raped me. When I had the courage to speak about the attack, he defamed my character, accused me of lying for personal gain, even insulted my appearance. Filing this lawsuit on behalf of every woman who has ever been harassed, assaulted, silenced, or spoken up only to be shamed, 
fired, ridiculed, and belittled. Thankfully, now she has won that lawsuit, and I couldn't be happier for her. I know it will not take away from the trauma that she's endured, but she deserves to have her power back, and I think this gives it to her. However, on Wednesday, Trump held his first town hall of the 2024 U.S. presidential election, and in it he drew laughter from his New Hampshire crowd when he mocked Carol. He said, What kind of a woman meets somebody and brings them up, and within minutes you're playing hanky-panky in the dressing room? He also called her a whack job. And he repeated the falsehoods about his 2020 election laws and said that he would pardon any of his supporters convicted for being a part of the January 6th insurrection. Awesome. He also called the CNN moderator, Caitlin Collins, a nasty person. Come up with new catchphrases, bro. It isn't 2015 anymore. All right, last but not least in our Republican shenanigans news update, it seems, George Santos has pled not guilty to 13 federal charges, including allegations of fraud relating to COVID-19 unemployment benefits, misusing campaign funds, and lying about his personal finances on House disclosure reports. More specifically, seven counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, one count of theft of public funds, and two counts of making materially false statements to the House of Representatives. It is said that he used campaign funds to buy himself designer clothes. Cool. What are you, a megachurch pastor? With the COVID-19 charge, the charges state that he fraudulently applied for unemployment benefits during the pandemic. He claimed in the application that he had been unemployed since March of 2020. But according to prosecutors, he was employed at the time at an investment firm where he was earning about $120,000 yearly. Even so, he was able to get deposits for unemployment benefits amassing up to $24,744, according to the prosecution. He was arrested and charged, then released on $500,000 bond. He was ordered to surrender his passport and must get permission to travel outside of Washington, D.C., New York City, and Long Island. Santos announced since then that he will not resign from his seat and that he still plans on running for re-election next year. Of course. Politicians on both the right and the left are calling for his resignation. Sometimes I can't believe this guy is real. And I swear to God, if he wins re-election, what? What is happening? Like, none of this surprises me. The man is obviously a pathological liar. I'm not here to diagnose anybody, but what the fuck is wrong with you, George Santos? Like, you have major problems. I hope that he gets checked into some sort of facility and works out his problems and doesn't get another seat during re-election. All right, that is all the news that I have for you today. Like I said at the top of the episode, if you want to be a part of the Angry Feminist Book Club and join the fun, go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist or click on the link in the show notes. If you enjoy the show and think others would too, hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show or rate the show on Spotify. Also, feel free to share your favorite episode with a friend and see if they might enjoy the show as well. If there's any news topics or other topics that you want me to cover on the show, feel free to email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. All right, that's all I have for you today. Be sure to stick around for a few minutes of the Patreon episode covering Still Learning. That is all I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Chapter 1
daughter of a princess. I'm not going to go too in-depth into chapter one because essentially we just learn all about India's backstory. I'm not going to go into every little detail that she shared in the story, but I'm going to cover the basics and important things to remember about her childhood moving forward into the story. India's mother is the amazing Catherine Oxenberg. I am so mad that I haven't gotten to meet her or even FaceTime with her yet because I am such a big fan of her as a mother and as a human being for everything that she did to get India out of Nexium. And Catherine actually also has a book that's titled Captive, which was released when India was still in the cult as a way for both society to be more aware of what was going on. But I think it was also really a message for India that her mom was going to do everything she could in order to try to get her out of something that she saw as really dangerous, even though India saw her mom as, you know, enemy number one, you know. But anyways, Catherine is the daughter of Princess Olivia of Yugoslavia. Through her mother, she is the second cousin once removed of the now King Charles, making her the third cousin to William and Kate and Meghan and Harry. When the coronation was going on, I texted India and I asked her how she was celebrating the day, and she responded, in my own very special way. (laughs) She's not the biggest fan. We like to joke that they're also kind of a cult. Catherine became an actress in 1982 when she took part in a made-for-TV movie about her royal family, The Royal Romance of Charles and Diana, in which she played Diana, of course. She then joined the ABC soap opera Dynasty in 1984, the role she is probably most recognized for. Everyone go mention Catherine Oxenberg to their mothers and see what their responses are. India's father pled guilty to a massive drug smuggling operation where he smuggled marijuana into the U.S. from Thailand in 1992 and was in prison, or timeout as Catherine called it, for most of India's early years. India would visit him in prison and she talked about even enjoying these visits, even though they were a bit strange. Catherine and India's father had met while he was a fugitive in Germany, and when I finally get to meet her, I need the full story because it sounds like something out of a Bond movie. India grew up in Malibu, but she wasn't like a typical Malibu kid. She and her mom lived in a heavily forested mountain area in Malibu, so India's backyard felt more like a jungle to her. She would run around naked or just in her underwear, exploring and getting into everything. With it being just her and her mom, they did everything together. And this is something that I can really relate to. India would go to work and events with Catherine, staying close to her legs at all times. And she would also accompany Catherine on her spiritual quests. Catherine was no stranger to a yoga retreat, an ashram, a commune, and she and India visited many different types of groups and were exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking and living. All the time, it was just the two of them. Until it wasn't. Catherine met fellow actor Casper Van Dien in 1999 while working on a TV show together. Casper had a son and daughter from the previous marriage, making India's new home resemble the Brady Bunch. Fun fact, India's stepsister, Grace Van Dien, was that character Chris, Chrissy or Christy in the fourth season of Stranger Things that like was really, really popular. She's got those like gorgeous big eyes. I've never seen Stranger Things, so I don't really, really know about it. But actually, the nine-year-old that I take care of dressed up as India's sister for Halloween this year, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> India would no longer have her mom all to herself, and she had to figure out what her role was in this new family. Together, Catherine and Casper had two more daughters, eventually making them a family of seven. 
In 2005, the family even had their own reality series on Lifetime called I Married a Princess, which followed the lives of Catherine and Casperin as actors and royals and what their kids were up to as well. India, if you have footage of this show, I am dying to see it and can't find it anywhere online. Please send me a DVD. India is dyslexic, and because of this, school sucked for her, and she really struggled. We've both spoken about how both of us felt so stupid for most of our lives because we just didn't get school. It wasn't until I went to film school that I actually began to see my unique intelligence and how teachers growing up just weren't able to support me in the way that I needed supporting. It sounds like India and I went through a lot of the same things in regards to school. She also got herself a boyfriend in high school named Henry. Henry was a musician on his way to the Berklee School of Music, and India loved him and his family very much. They were safe for her. And of course, she partied a bit in high school, but didn't we all? But after she was done with high school, she really didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. To me, I think that if India were able to have a real therapist guiding her through these high school years to help her with the transition of a new family and a new role, how to handle her stress around school and the feelings she had about herself, maybe then she wouldn't have fallen prey to Keith Raniere and his help. Chapter 2. Footloose in L.A. She decided to follow Henry to Boston, where he went to music school. It was hard for her to feel like she had space there and often felt alone and isolated. She took to walking for long stretches to help time seemingly move more quickly. Henry wasn't very satisfied with his life in Boston either and decided to drop out before the school year was over. They called their parents and told them they would be moving home, partially feeling relieved, partially feeling defeated. When she got back, India and her friend decided to start a little gluten-free bakery out of the friend's kitchen, which she soon came to feel ambivalent about. She also worked odd jobs around Hollywood, working in production, but nothing permanent and nothing she had a passion for. We also like to joke about how we both probably have undiagnosed ADHD because we both get so excitable and have a hard time focusing on one thing at a time. Good thing we can keep each other in line. <laughs> to me, it seems like some of that is presenting itself in her inability to hold on to a new business venture or job, but also being young is about trial and error until you find your passion. Unfortunately, India would find the wrong passion. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.